prepare to experience the strongest radio allowable by law. Secrets will be revealed. Myths dispelled. From the studio gym where excuses never apply. It's Superhuman Radio with your host, Carl Lenore. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Superhuman Radio. We have a guest that I've wanted to have on the show literally for years. Um, last time I ran into him, we were at a peptide uh, conference uh, in, in Florida, and I promised to have him on the show then, but, you know, I, I, I don't do a good job of keeping in touch with people myself, so we lost track and we reconnected, and uh, Ben Pakulski is going to be on the show today. And, you know, I, I, the reason I really am interested in talking to Ben because Ben was a hardcore bodybuilder and a very successful one. And he has taken all that knowledge and he is now using it to increase the longevity uh, of people and himself, obviously, and health. Uh, because a lot of these bodybuilders uh, we and, and powerlifters, we come around at a certain point and think, you know, uh, let me focus on my health. I've achieved these different goals, whether they be uh, a quality of physique or whether it's a weight you wanted to squat or deadlift. And once you do it, um, I found too, sadly, you can't keep doing it forever because that's when you start tearing hamstrings and detaching triceps and stuff like that. And so you say, oh, you know what? I'm going to use my intelligence, my knowledge on how to shape my body, how to get it to do the things I wanted to do to make me stronger, but stay healthy and, and live longer. And, you know, I used to say when I first started doing this show 17 years ago, it was really rooted in bodybuilding. Um, Randy Roach, who's a close personal friend, he wrote the three volumes of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors, which gave me an opportunity to see the, uh, the origins of physical culture, which influenced nutrition. Uh, those who were into physical culture in the early days, Armand Tanny, Jack LaLanne, Vince Gironda, they understood nutrition because they could see the changes in their body. They could feel the changes in their health. And that all started in bodybuilding. And I always say, if muscle is important, which it is, it really is, more important than anyone gives it credit for, uh, then who do you want to learn how to build your body from? Someone who does it barely better than you or someone who does it literally for a living? It's the same question. As, I want to learn how to piano. I don't want to take a piano lesson from a guy that plays almost as good as me. I want to take it from an, somebody who does it professionally, makes money. And that's why average people may turn their nose up uh, um, on bodybuilding, probably more because of the sport than anything else. But what you can learn from bodybuilders is how to build the most muscle, the fastest, and the safest. Bodybuilders, unlike powerlifters, aren't necessarily going for a 700-pound squat. Uh, they may top out at 405 and just do more reps and more sets and increase volume, which is a lot safer. Uh, so there's a lot we can learn from bodybuilders. So don't turn your nose up on bodybuilding when we talk about it. And when I talk about bodybuilding, I'm talking about two words, bodybuilding, not the sport of bodybuilding. So pay attention. Before we get started today, we have to thank our title sponsor, and that is Legendary Foods. They have introduced the new sweet rolls. Uh, if you are a fan of Cinnabons, but you don't eat them because the, you know they're crap, well, now you can enjoy the taste of a Cinnabon without any of the guilt. Uh, they come in cinnamon, chocolate, and wild berry, uh, made by legendary foods and the genius of Ron Penna. And 
They have 20 grams of high-quality dairy protein, uh, five net carbs, and one gram of sugar. You will think you are cheating, but you're not. Check them out. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash legendary. Use the code SHR10 to save 10% off. And they also know that you heard about it here, so that helps the show. And without further delay, we have Ben Pakulski. How you doing, Ben? What's up, my man? Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. It's long overdue. We both know that. I mean, really, uh, uh, you, you, I want to start with bodybuilding. Uh, where did you get, get the notion that you wanted to be a bodybuilder? Um, so I grew up, my, my story's kind of funny. I grew up as, a, as an obese kid. I uh, grew up with a family of alcoholics, drug addicts, uh, gambling addicts, and uh, had a learning disability and a speech impediment. When I, I was a great athlete, though. I loved playing sports. And when I was 15 years old, I just found the gym because it was, you know, uh, supposed to make me a better athlete. So my coaches said, go find the gym. And I just loved it. And, you know, for the first couple of years of training, I, I didn't want to be a bodybuilder. I just wanted to get fast because I had baseball scholarships and so many different offers to, to play sports. Uh, and then I finally um, actually opened up a, a Flex magazine one day and I opened it up to the Mr. Olympia page, the Mr. Olympia advertisement and saw it there. And I just kind of threw it out to my dad. I was like, hey, you want to go to this? It was in New York City. He goes, yeah, it was 1998. He goes, yeah, let's go. So we took a 10-hour drive down to New York with my dad. And uh, as soon as I saw the 98 Mr. Olympia, I was hooked. And that's all I wanted to do since then. I was just obsessed with, like, you know, and and that became my standard. I was like, until I look like Flex Wheeler, until I look like these guys, I'm nothing. And so that's really how it started for me. Okay, so now let's let's uh, you you did very well in bodybuilding, right? Did you did you uh, and, and excuse my naivete because uh, Aaron Singerman right. and I did an uh, we did an interview one time, and I can't think of the name of the guy that we interviewed uh, for Dave Palumbo, but I said to the guy, "Did you see the one thirty two class?" He goes, "I was in it." I was like, "Oh, okay, I'm sorry." Like I don't I don't pay attention to, yeah. to bodybuilding, but did you make it to Sorry. like the Olympia level? I mean. Yep, I did the Olympia a couple times. I did the Arnold Classic. Uh, I've done 14 Arnold Classics, so I did a lot. Um, so yeah, I was at the top for, you know, seven to nine years. Right. That's a, that's amazing. Um, did it take a toll on your body? Then that's what made you think, okay, now I have to flip a switch and, and, and employ my efforts in a different direction. No, well, obviously it takes a toll on everyone's body, but so to be honest, Carl, like my, I don't have the genetics that everyone, all these guys I'm competing against do. And, and, you know, I have, uh, I had to use every little 1% advantage that I could find. And so I was studying everything I could. I was, uh, you know, learning from everyone I could. And, you know, so I was kind of developing this, this, um, knowledge base from day one. And I actually retired or more so because I just had new priorities in life. I, I had actually had two children. Uh, so my son was born in 2012, my daughter 2013. And that was like literally the peak of my career. I was just starting to hit my stride. I was 30 years old and, you know, that for those that don't know, like you don't even come into your own until 30 to 35 in bodybuilding. And, you know, I was literally hitting my peak. I just got second place at the Arnold Classic, second biggest show in the world. I was getting ready for Olympia. And then my daughter was born, my second child. And, and I would go to the gym every day. And uh, so I was, you know, I had a reputation for being, you know, the hardest working bodybuilder and one of the hardest working bodybuilders in the world and, and very ruthless in my approach to training. And uh, once my kids were born, I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I, I lost purpose, right? I'm like, why am I here? Like I'm spending five hours a day in the gym and I, and I could be with them. So I immediately shifted and created a business, you know, teaching people everything I've learned over, I had learned over the previous, you know, 15 to 17 years at the time. 
uh, and just started teaching people intelligent muscle building principles. And um, it just took off so fast. It didn't re- didn't require any marketing dollars. I just started putting out information and everyone's like, oh my God, this is the best information I've ever heard. Where do I get more? So I grew a business very, very quickly um, online with that. So l- let's fast forward to today. You go to a lot of the anti-aging seminars. You're, you're very uh, f- leaning, you lean very forward in a lot of the new sciences. Um, a lot of bodybuilders don't pay attention to that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, completely. So, uh, man, I, I've been, you know, I've got a university degree in this stuff. I've learned from everyone I can. And I think it's, you know, I just like in bodybuilding, I wanted to be the best in the world. Like I wasn't going to stop at being the best in my gym or the best in my town or, you know, the best in my country. I was like, no, no, no the goal is to be in the best in the world. And I do that the same in, in health and fitness is, you know, I, I hold myself to a world-class standard and until I understand it at the highest level, I just don't feel like I'm there yet. And, and some people think, oh, is, is that, uh, you know, inadequacy or fear. I'm like, no, I, I just, I just have this insatiable desire yeah. to learn and understand. Yeah. And so that's what sent me down this path of, of ultimately high level performance, uh, cognitive optimization, longevity. Um, it's just cause it's, it's such a uh, vast ocean. And I just find so much fascination yeah. exists, yeah. you know, beyond the realm of just building muscle. I think the muscle building puzzle, I've solved that, right. I can build muscle for any human, uh, I've, I've got all that figured out. Now it's all the other things that kind of go in tandem with that. So uh, I've said on this show numerous times over the years, at least the better part of a decade, uh, that the only thing that has been shown in science with humans to affect life extension and health span is the noble pursuit of strength and muscle. I've said this over and over again because I want to convince people that you know, I, I like to say if you're stronger today than you were last month, you're younger because stronger equals younger when you think about frailty leading to death and all that sort of stuff. Um, we can take that too far sometimes, right? We start, when we start training, we see changes. Now all of a sudden we, we, we have a gym partner. It's called ego. And it's like you see the other guy's deadlift yep. and you want to deadlift. Are, are there, are there, are there, things that you do that you people could do in the gym that at the end of the day really isn't the best if their goal is to improve health span improve longevity yeah absolutely so you know just kind of reversing into that question a little bit you know there's a lot of things i did as a professional bodybuilder that i completely admit to doing you know as far as anabolics that wasn't a good idea is not a good idea for anybody i'm not against anabolics but i obviously i i had a very specific goal and i didn't care what I had to do to get there. Like I obviously was very concerned with my health, but I did push, you know, I did push my body and mind really, really far. Um, you know, so that's one thing that I would advise people when it comes to optimization of health. Anytime you're pushing, pushing some hormone level to a super physiological level, you're, you're potentially causing harm. You're not, you know, steroids, I think are the, the negative effects of steroids, I think are way blown out of proportion because of, you know, whatever marketing and propaganda. Because uh, you have so many bodybuilders that do live to a, a ripe old age, mm-hmm. um, but specific to training itself, you're, you're right. It's like people just don't learn their body. You know, I always talk about like the value of quality of movement, Carl. And you'll get this as someone who trains consistently is like the things that you do really well and that feel really good will always feel really good. You'll always build that muscle really well. But most people lack coordination and control. Right. Right. So one of the primary phases of my programs is like. We're going to build coordination and control. And if you can't coordinate and control these exercises, you simply have to do them more often. 
And so most people are like, I want to add more weight. People think progressive overload is the only path. And while it is a very important path, first and most important, think of it, Carl, like if you're 80 years old and you can't move and you can't stand, you can't walk upstairs, what's the value of yeah. living to 100? Like, right. it doesn't make sense. The quality of movement, I think, is one of the most highly correlated with vitality in old age. I just want to be old and in a, in a chair. Right. I need to be able to move and control my body. And so I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they're egocentrically attached to the number on the bar rather than the quality score of the, of the, the exercise. Do you feel that, um, if, if the goal is exclusively to maintain or build muscle throughout life, that machines are adequate or do you, or is there some magic? You know, we always believed when I, when I was younger, you know, free weight was king because you have all of these other muscles that are working to stabilize. You're not just pushing and pulling. But at the end of the day, if my goal is to live long, be agile, and we're going to talk about movement in a second and cardio, uh, do I, can mm -hmm. I just use machines? Um, well, there's, there's multiple levels to, the, to answer that question. So the, the muscular benefit you're looking to receive is, you know, as, as you mentioned, there's, there's enormous benefits to, simply eliciting a signal uh, it's eliciting a stimulus in the, in the muscles right and so you get all these hormones that get released and these secretory molecules called myokines which are inflammatory molecules that can work all over the body that happens no matter what type of stimulus you're subjecting mm -hmm. your body to right but if i'm not so that's 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 machines or otherwise and, and but if i'm not subjecting my my body to what people would call you know compound exercise or free weight exercises we are losing the ability to coordinate the inside of our body mm. so think of you know stability being this this absolutely essential aspect of of life right so as we age you know people fall and they break their hip because they don't have the ability to stabilize their joints and so training with machines isn't going to as effectively allow your body to coordinate stability. And so like, I need to be able to stabilize my spine. I need to be able to stabilize my hips. I need to be able to stabilize my body in space. And that's a secondary benefit of, of muscle building that uh, definitely should not be ignored. And now I'm, that's not saying you need to be able to squat 400 pounds or bench press 300 like that. That's doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily it, but you know, anyone who, who labels a squat as being bad for your back or saying deadlifts bad for your back, they're simply ignorant. Like it's, it's absolutely not the case. It's always contextually relevant, right? It's like, well, who's doing the deadlift? How are they doing the deadlift? Right. What's their goal? And so it's, it's quality, right? So, uh, my advice is always having a balance of the, like, you should be able to squat until you're a hundred years old. You got to sit on the toilet, man. You got to be able to walk up the stairs. Let's do some lunges, right? right. You got to be able to bend over and pick up the grandkids. Like, that stuff's important. So like doing things on a machine, I think will lead to more injuries because let's say, let's say, imagine Carl, you're, you're super strong in your biceps, triceps and your delts, but your back's weak as a kitten and you bend over to pick up groceries because you're a hero. Like oh, I could pick up this 40 pound, uh, you know, trash bag or whatever, but you haven't done, you know, a squat or a deadlift in 20 years. Your arms are strong enough to do it, but your back's not right. And all of a sudden, boom, injuries. Yeah. So injuries happen as a result of, of disparities or, or um, differences in, in muscles, right? Some muscles really strong. Another muscle is really weak or some part of a muscle is really strong and another range is really weak. And that's where injuries happen. So someone who wants to prevent injuries, the goal is to actually take every joint in your body through its entire range of motion under control and, and ultimately with some resistance. You know, I always use cars as analogies. So when I was a young man, I used to mm -hmm. build hot rods. I had a really nice Chevelle. I'd give anything to have it today. But when I built the Chevelle, <laughs> back then, 600 horsepower was a lot of horsepower. 
Today, you can buy a, a Subaru that has 600 horsepower. But I remember mm-hmm. when I finished the engine and dropped it in the car, uh, I twisted the chassis. <laughs> like, that's an example of what you're talking about. Like, if the rest of the body isn't up yep. for the work, you're going to injure yourself. And I think that's also a problem with us older guys. Not you, but the older guys in the audience in their 60s who were strong at one time, like really, really strong. And we think that because we can elicit strength, which is a technique into itself, you know, the ability to actually activate muscle stays with you for the rest of your life. But the problem is when your body isn't up to it, that's called injury. And so, you know, it, it's interesting because you're, you're, you're right on with this. The, the idea of getting stronger in just the bench press or just the deadlift and qualifying that as that's all you need is a mistake because the, the often over-talked about core actually is something that you have to focus on. So what kind of movements do you like uh, when, you're, when you're combining uh, flow of movement along with resistance training? You know, challenging question. My, my approach to training is often like whatever you don't want to do, whatever you're not good at, that's what we're going to spend more time on, right? So go after the weakest link and make it a strength. And that's an approach that ultimately can apply to anything in life is, you know, if, if I'm not good at something, most people want to go to the gym and do all the things they're good at because it makes them feel good in the moment. But right. in reality, you should be doing the things you're not good at, right? If I, if I find some, some aspect of my body that's weak, why would I want it to be weak, right? I'm only as good as my weakest link. So for me as a coach and even as, a, as an athlete myself, I'm always looking for those things that I suck at, all those things that I just right. psychologically dread or I'm like, this is really going to hurt and I'm going to do more of it. And I think that approach has always been successful for me and uh, allowed me to progress without ultimately having in, creating injuries, right? Because as I spoke about earlier, the bigger the disparity between a strength and a weakness, the greater the likelihood for injury. So I'm always chasing those those weak links. So for me, I, like every workout for me inco- incorporates some squat or some deadlift. Certainly lunges are in there all the time. Like I'm trying to teach my body to maintain the ability to be co- coordinated. Like if I can't close my eyes and do a squat, a deadlift, and a lunge, I'm losing coordination. If I can't close my eyes and stand on one foot, I'm losing coordination. And, and as an aging man or woman, those should be acid tests for you. Those should be tests that you have in your day-to-day routine. Can you just close your eyes and stand on one leg, right? right. Can you stand on one leg and maybe, I don't know, bend over into a deadlift position and not lose your balance? Like you, you need to maintain the coordination as well as the strength. So um, in 2019, I had – uh, in February of 2019, I had my first foot surgery, and the, by the end of 2019, I had a second one. Because the first one wasn't yep. a good surgery. I had to find a different surgeon. And so my left foot is now two inches shorter than it used to be because each surgery took some meat off, so to say. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a real hard time balancing on my left foot. And, you know, just putting pants on, like I can stand on my right foot and put it on, but when I have to stand on my left foot, it, it doesn't articulate like it used to. And as a result of that, the calf has gotten smaller and weaker, and as a result of that, the knee is started had had started to develop pain and 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 issues. Luckily, it's not up to the the hip yet because I've, I'm reversing it now. But what you said a moment yeah. ago is a, has always been a mantra of mine: that which you do not want to do is the thing you need to do most. We all, like you said, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. strong in the I bench say, press. If you I can't, want, therefore, you must. Yeah. If all you love to do is bench press, you've got a great bench press, but everything else is kind of falling apart. So there's there's a caveat in this approach because if there's something you don't want to do because you realize you're unstable and weak in it, you really the, – the first move may just be standing on one foot without weight over and over again. Like, But, but most of us guys – 
we're going to be like, no, nah, I'm just going to go to the gym and deadlift or something like that. Isn't, mm-hmm. isn't it wise to start at baby steps even though we were once strong people? Yeah, so the way I, I separate it in my mind is like there's what happens in the gym and then there's what prepares you for the gym, right? And that could be first thing in the morning. That could be before you work out. That could be after you work out. Um, but there should be some type of preparatory pro- protocol put in place to say, hey, like one, I always say take inventory, right? So ha- have some type of movement routine that allows you to go, what does my body feel like today, right? So that may be squatting. It may be like just like I do it in my bathroom while I'm brushing my teeth. Like mm-hmm. what can I, how can I move my body through, through as many different ranges as possible just to kind of see what I feel like, right? And, and become familiar with What's the standard at 40? What's the standard at 50? What's the standard at 60, right? So Carl, at 64, you're going to be different at 64 than you are at 70. But the closer you can stay to where you are now and obviously reversing it, the only way you're going to do that is if you have some standard in your brain, you're super familiar with what you're capable of. So I started doing yoga in 2016 when I retired from bodybuilding because I was like, you know what? I was 320 pounds. I was like, what am I going to be terrible at? Yoga. So let's go do this. Get really good at it. And then, but now it gives me a standard of what my body's actually capable of, right? I did yoga probably five times a week for the better part of two years. And now I'm like, okay, I know what I'm able to do. And so that becomes my standard of excellence, right? So I think for everyone, regardless of where your strengths and weaknesses are, just like be willing to be uncomfortable and go go through a five-minute inventory of your body. And and progression is a key part that we learn in bodybuilding and and and, and weightlifting in general and that's something that most people don't focus on. So you have to, when you start with something that you suck at and you want to get better at it, you have to keep track and make sure that you are actually improving, right? Well, yeah. And that's why I said, like, there, there's a quality score, right? So people think progressive overload is, is king. And while I don't disagree with progressive overload being an enormous part of, of muscle building, there's a way to progressive overload without even adding weight to the bar. It's actually by improving the precision of your execution. So if I take, if I'm using a muscle 20% of the time in a rep and I take it from 20% to 30% to 40% to 50% of the time during a rep, or I actually am able to, to challenge the muscle more by creating more tension, right? Tension is the language of muscles. So if I can increase the amount of tension, it's actually a mechanism of progressive overload without having to put more weight on the bar. Right. So like there, there needs to be a, an attention paid to the quality score. And, and you know, the two things that go into quality score, in my opinion, is coordination and control. Right. So can, can I coordinate this movement over a range of motion and can I control it at every segmental inch of that range of motion? Right. So every, every, every inch or even every half inch, can I control every half inch? Can I, can I actually stop and say, yes, I, I'm using the right muscles as I'm squatting down. If I, if I said, Carl, squat every, stop every inch on the way down. Could you tell me that? Yes, I'm using my quads to slow me down or yes, I'm using my quads to, to move me up. And you'll know because mm-hmm. you'll feel it there. And if you don't, you can assume you're not doing it correctly or it could be more effective. Um, what do you think about advanced techniques like negatives, like uh, the ARX machine that I train with at home? Uh, you, you think they're valuable to to just regular people who are just trying to be stronger and build muscle? 1,000%. So, the, the, the prerequisite to muscle building or step one, you know, I actually call it phase one in my programs is like coordination and control. So once you've got that, let's say, let's say Carl, you've got 10 exercises that you're like, you know what, man, I do these really, really well. I'd rank myself a five out of five and my ability to do this. Well, then, then all the intensifiers apply, right? Go do the drop sets and the negatives and the air, do all those things because you coordinate them well. But all those other exercises that maybe you don't coordinate well, 
then they're probably it probably doesn't make sense to increase the intensity, right? It's right. like if I can't pl- if I use your, your your piano reference that you used to open the show. If I can't play the song yet, should I go faster or should I <laughs> learn to play individual keys right. first? Right? right, learn to play the keys first. Learn to use your fingers, and then eventually you can you can play the you can play the piano like Elton John. But first, you have to learn to. Go slow. Take your time. Figure it out. Let your brain and your nervous system coordinate movement, and then ultimately you you can accelerate the speed and ultimately, in our case, the resistance. Knees over toes. What do you think of this? Well, uh, there's zero wrong with putting your knees over your toes. Anyone right. who said that there's there's one study in like the '60s or something that said, hey, there's there's this increased torque, and yes, there's absolutely increased torque when you put your knees over your toes, but that doesn't mean there's a it's a bad thing. So. Torque is a, is a measure of, of force. So you hear people in the body sometimes say, you know, we're, we're measuring force. It's mass times acceleration. You hear that wrongly used in bodybuilding. There's, mass times acceleration doesn't apply in bodybuilding because there's nothing in the body that works in a straight line. Right. Torque is the equation we use in a body because everything's around an arc because joints work in an arc. So when it comes to knees over toes, yes, of course, we're getting, we're getting significantly more torque at the knee because the knee's going wherever the toe, the knee's going uh, into a greater amount of flexion. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means it has to be progressed. So if your knee has never gone over your toe, don't go from like, hey, my knee's never gone past 90 degrees to now all of a sudden going six inches past my toe. Go once you an inch past my toe this week and then two inch passes my toe next month and three inch past next month and, and progress. It, that's another form of progressive right, resistance. Right, right. So the, the piece of the, the exercise equation that gets neglected is distance. So when we talk about torque, you think right. about like a lever arm, right? You've used a wrench. Yeah, right. the longer the wrench, the longer the lever the more the, the more torque. the torque right. well it's the same in your body so if you want to increase the torque at the joint you just increase the, the distance of the lever yeah um what are your thoughts on a hormone replacement therapy legitimate hrt a lot of guys call hmm. it hrt and yeah. we know it's not what do you think about it for older guys Man, I study this extensively. I just finished writing a 50 page document on uh, hormone replacement, but actually I did, I did one natural, like how to optimize hormones naturally. And then ultimately one, how, how to effectively do hormone replacement. And so I'm an advocate. I think, um, you know, low testosterone seems to cause more problems than high testosterone does. And so I'm an advocate of men who are ultimately low, bringing it up simply from a quality of life perspective, from a quality of movement perspective. Like if I can give you 150 milligrams of testosterone a week and your, your, your desire to have sex is going to go up, your desire to be motivated is going to go up, your desire to go to the gym is going to go up, everything in your life is going to get better. Your, your ability to function as a high-level human goes up. So I, I've become an advocate. But here's the thing that I'll acknowledge, and I'm sure you've said it a thousand times before is 100 milligrams for me or 200 milligrams for me is not the same as 200 milligrams for you because our body's going to use these things differently. There's other factors, right? Testosterone is not the only factor, right? How much are we converting into DHT? How much are we converting into estrogen? How much are we converting into prolactin? Like all these different pathways that are influenced and free testosterone and SHBG. And so how much is actually getting utilized in the body? So some guys feel great at 400, you know, to a level of 400 testosterone. Some guys need to be 600 to feel good. Some guys feel great at 800 and everybody's different. So I think just acknowledging the, the individual variances, which is why it's so important to have somebody intelligent on your side to be like, hey, let's actually monitor this and right. see how you're doing. Because, you know, as you know, and, and I know, if you take too much, there's absolutely a point of diminishing returns where your estrogen skyrockets or DHT skyrocket, you know, you start getting side effects. Ideally, we want to find that sweet spot where you're getting the maximum benefit without the side effects. Right. And side effects may not be like life threatening or they may not be 
terrible, but you know, if your estrogen starts going up or you start getting fat or you're going to start getting breast tissue development or you're going to start getting a little bit lethargic and, and your energy production goes down. So we just have to find that sweet spot for everyone. So interestingly enough, uh, I've been doing some deep dives on uh, fibrotic tissue buildup because one of the things we struggle mm. with as we get older is the body starts to turn into wood. And and fibrosis yep. uh, it, it requires uh, actin uh, sequestration. And it's – thank you. Uh, it, it requires act, actin sequestration, but also the ability to recycle uh, fibrotic tissue. And nothing does this better than yep. thymosin beta-4 for anybody who's interested in doing a deep mm. dive on this. But, um, you know, when you have low testosterone, fibrotic tissue in the penis, in the in – the, uh, in the, in the, what is it? The corp, corpus uh, cavernosa. Sorry. Builds up rapidly. Think about that. And Dr. Samuel Denmead hmm. has been on my show three times now, and he is reversing the most aggressive prostate cancers with super physiological levels of testosterone. But what he does, I, I hmm. named it for him. I started calling it bipolar testosterone, and he started using it. But what he does is he, he'll give you a 600-milligram shot and let you ride it out for a month, month and a half until at the end you, you have nothing. And then he'll give you another shot, and it really it actually reverses prostate cancer. Uh, it's a very, hmm. a very fascinating uh, topic. But my point is too much testosterone is probably bad, but not enough is worse. It's really, it really is going to hurt hmm. you. It's going to hurt your heart and everything else. Uh, and I'm one of those guys. I feel a lot better at around 600, but I, I'm down at 250 right now because I, I'm under a lot of stress and I just want to kind of stay, uh, you know, we used to call it blast and cruise, but even the, even the, even the cruise was, uh, was a pretty rapid cruise. But yeah, I think men do need to pay attention to testosterone and it's been demonized, uh, by the mainstream media. You know, toxic, t- toxic masculinity is tied to testosterone. Ter- terrible such a joke man it, it, it's such a joke and you know the irony of it is joe biden was the guy who was kind of the first guy to to uh, demonize steroids in sport or at least uh, legalize it uh, make it illegal yeah it, it's a joke and and it's because it's you know obviously i get the idea of trying to dissuade young men you know 14 15 16 years old or even up to 19 years old uh using hormones it, it's it's silly for young men it's it's silly because you have so much natural potential you know, just simply by training and watching your diet, your testosterone is sky high. Um, but I think the demonization of it for grown men is, I don't know, I, I think it's just like wanting men to not be driven, wanting men to not be assertive, right? And I think that, the, you know, to- even the concept of toxic, toxic masculinity is uh, comical, right? Like, what does that even mean? Yes, there's toxic masculinity, but what does that have to do with steroids? I think it's, you know, the, if, if you're an asshole, you're an asshole. And, and I think steroids yes. are not going to make somebody more more of that they're going to make them just you know maybe more assertive maybe more driven maybe more aggressive in the gym but doesn't necessarily i've never seen it correlate with like hey someone takes steroids and all of a sudden a nice man turns into a terrible in fact in fact there's several good rodent studies what we talked about on the show over the years and one of them showed that higher estradiol in male rodents made them more aggressive and and more mean and the other one was they actually gave uh male rodents uh, male rats the equivalent of like um 150 250 milligrams a day of propionate so fast release boom hits them right away Mm -hmm. and they put them in cages with females and males so they were like super males the males were regular 
they were no more aggressive. They didn't attack uh, the animals. They did not uh, copulate more often. I mean, they were able to, but they didn't attack the women, the females. But the interesting thing was when they were provoked with potential uh, threat to life, they they were they acted so much faster. They pounced because they had that ability, but they were not any more aggressive. So we get a bad rap with testosterone. I'm tired of it, to be honest with you. It's really ma- maddening to me. Yeah, and I think I don't think it's going away. I think in the mainstream media, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna perpetuate all the BS they want to perpetuate. So it's it's you know up to guys like us to just tell the truth, right? It's like you know, there's probably not any any very many people in the world with more experience than you and me in this in this topic. And you know, like I've worked with thousands of people who are who have used hormone replacement, and like it, it in my experience, has never made somebody um, negatively aggressive. I think in any way, it's a positive aggression, right? Yeah. So many men in our society are effeminate they're becoming passive they're becoming you know they're accepting mediocrity in their life and not pursuing anything certainly not paying any attention to their body and i think that's sad to be honest i think as a man it's it's like your divine ability or divine right to to be masculine and yeah, ultimately love yourself have a great sex life enjoy it yeah all right we're going to take a quick commercial break when we come back we have questions lining up but i also want to talk about diet because i see guys at the gym for the past 20 years they train, God bless them, they train hard, but they're just not getting the value of all their hard training because they just don't understand diet. And what, now, I did this yeah. with my nephew. I changed his diet and the kid looks amazing right now and just, just six or seven months. Uh, so let's talk about diet, okay? When we come back, sit Sounds tight. Good. We'll be right back with more of Ben Pakulski. Let me make sure I got my brands here. There we go. Let's roll. There are lots of concerns about food supply today. That's why you need White Oak Pastures. White Oak Pastures will deliver food right to your doorstep. You don't even have to go out and be disappointed by shopping in grocery stores. The finest beef, pork, lamb, duck, and more can be found at White Oak Pastures. And now they even have seafood. And best of all, White Oak Pastures has a negative carbon footprint, which means that you don't have to feel guilty for eating your ribeye. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash white oak and use the code superhuman to save 15% off. For 17 years, I've heard promises of devices and gadgets that could eliminate chronic pain. I live with chronic pain. I live with sciatic nerve pain. It varies from just annoying to debilitating. I love to ride my motorcycle. I ride it every day if I can. And obviously my motorcycle doesn't treat my lumbar spine good. I got the Kylo patch and I promised to give it a try, but I got to be honest with you. I thought it was bullshit, but I did what I was instructed. Find the right spot over the pain. You'll feel the pain start to go away. Leave it there and go about your business. And I did that. And that day I got on my motorcycle and I rode for about three hours. It was a Saturday. I came home that day, got off my bike and had no back pain. That's rare. In fact, in fact, it's impossible. How could that be? Well, the technology is legit. And I can tell you right now, if you give Kylo a try, you'll find that you don't have to live with chronic pain. Check it out. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash go Kylo. That's G-O-K-A-I-L-O. 
Use code SHR30 for 30% off. Merrick Health is a premium telehealth platform that connects customers with partnered providers from the comfort of your home. Merrick provides concierge service with your very own patient care provider as your health advocate. You'll go over all your needs and goals from improving sexual function, hair loss prevention, increased muscle, fat loss, and overall improved performance. Prescribed treatment options can be ordered and shipped directly to you if you meet the requirements. All from the comfort of your home. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash Merrick Health, that's M-A-R-E-K-H-E-A-L-T-H, and order your comprehensives and get 10% off with code SHR. Don't forget to add the lab analysis to have results reviewed with potential over-the-counter supplements or treatment recommendations. That's shrnetwork.biz slash Merrick Health and use code SHR at checkout. Or order your own desired labs with code SHR and get 10% off your first lab order. Remember those rectangular toaster pastries you used to love when you were a kid? Well, Legendary Foods has just made them better. The new cake-style tasty pastry is like nothing you've ever had before. With 20 grams of high-quality protein and less than one gram of sugar, you'll feel like you're cheating, but you're not. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash legendary and use the code SHR10 to save to save 10% off your purchase of tasty pastries. Now available in cookies and cream, red velvet cake, birthday cake, blueberry, strawberry, brown sugar cinnamon, and hot fudge sundae. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash legendary and use code SHR10 today. This is the Superhuman Channel, where brawn and brains finally meet. I can gauge how much the audience likes the guests because we didn't lose one viewer during the commercial break. And I know, you know, I've gotten heat for 17 years. Uh, there's too many commercials. That podcast sucks, you know, but nobody left. So everybody wants to hear Ben talk. That's good. That's a good thing for me. Um, so let's talk about diet. You know, obviously, when you were a bodybuilder, you probably managed and fluctuated your carbohydrate intake. There's a lot of evidence that a low-carb or moderately low-carb diet is better for the brain. It's better for the body. It's better for the liver. It's better for everything. Talk about diet. And, and macronutrient ratios where you like to see them for someone who's wants to continue to build muscle, wants to continue to be strong, but wants to improve uh, cellular health uh, and, and diminish uh, senescent cell buildup and stuff like that. Sure. So the simple framing, Carl, is like it, it depends where you're starting, right? So if you're starting relatively metabolically healthy, which – most guys, not all, but most guys, you know, at the age of 50, 40, 50, and 60 are in some way metabolically broken. And, and so if you, if you put yourself in a continuum of like, I'm really metabolically healthy versus I'm very, very unmetabolically healthy, which is like basically I'm diabetic, that is a huge influence on how much carbohydrate your body can tolerate. So if I'm metabolically healthy, the body actually does a really good job utilizing carbohydrate and you shouldn't be afraid of carbohydrate because there's no in- inherent problem with it. But my approach to carbohydrate, regardless of where you sit in that continuum, is typically just to use carbohydrates to fuel performance. And that's that's really it, right? So I, I say earn your carbohydrates. So if you're training hard, if I'm about to go in for a hard leg workout like I did today with Dorian Yates, I don't know if you have Dorian. Dorian, I did a leg workout today. Um, we, you know, I, I fueled with carbohydrates. I had a good amount of carbohydrates, a couple hundred grams of carbohydrates. I'm metabolically healthy. I feel great. Someone who's on the other end who's not metabolically healthy, their body doesn't tolerate carbohydrates very well. So it's way more... Uh, effective 
to start with a very low level of carbohydrates. Now, what typically happens when you when you eat a low carbohydrate diet is you, is you think of it like you lose, to use your car analogy, Carl, you're losing the top gear, man. You're losing the fifth gear, right? You might right. be able to touch it, but you're not going to stay there, right? That that really high revving gear where like I'm going I'm going hard on, on squats and deadlifts and even high intensity cardio, you, you kind of lose the ability to, to sustainably use that gear. However, here's the reality. Most guys can't ever touch that gear to begin with anyways, right? Most people, as you know, aren't training. To, they think they're training. You know, your perceived effort, just because my brain says I'm working hard, isn't the same as actual effort, isn't the same as actual muscular output. So we think of like muscular output, like perform, like like power, like force production, right? Like uh, like force production over longer durations of time. That's really work. So the more work you're able to do, the more your body can utilize and tolerate carbohydrates. So I think that's a really good kind of starting continuum on how, on how you think of it. It's like if I'm producing a lot of work, fuel it with carbohydrates, allow your body to use carbohydrates to recover. Because it's really important to replenish your glycogen stores when you're training hard. If you're not training hard, the glycogen store depletion is very, very small. You don't need a lot of carbohydrates. So my typical approach for guys who are who are typically not super metabolically healthy, the only carbohydrates we eat in general are going to be some berries, sweet potatoes, and squash. And that's kind of the primary approach. Occasionally, you know, if you want to have some fruit or banana, great, no problem. But we're going to avoid the high glycemic carbs. We're going to remove things like gluten and grains and, and all those because it's just not helping. Right. Right. So I'm not against carbohydrates. But I want to reduce them for most people. And whereas on the other end, someone who's a high-performance athlete, then I use them to drive performance even higher because if I'm lacking them, I'm not going to have that fifth gear. So for me personally, when I'm training hard, I want to have that fifth gear, right? I want to be able to take, you know, you know, proverbially my balls out of my purse once in a while and get after it. So that's that's the approach that I take. And yeah, I guess it's a simplified approach, but um, – Effective and and I I personally think people make diet too 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 hard. First of all, you have to determine what you can mm-hmm. eat. When when we talk about mm-hmm. what you can eat, the microbiome comes into discussion, and this is a tool we didn't know much about decades ago, but now we do. So when you're working with people, do you try to assess their tolerance for certain foods and and and, and eliminate? Yeah, I sure. mean, grain. Everybody should get rid of grains. I'm sorry, people are gonna say, oh no no no, yeah, yeah. sprouted bread. Nah, uh, but. Do you assess their, their, their microbiome now? Because I know you're deep into this science. We do. We, yeah, we, we do at a high level, Carl. So we, we assess everyone's blood, urine, stool, saliva, and DNA. Because DNA plays an incredibly important role in complex cases, right? So, uh, you know, it, should everyone consider their DNA? Only, I think, if you're either trying for, for really high-level performance or if your health is really deteriorating. I'll give an example. A guy just signed up with me recently. He came to me and said, he's a very wealthy guy. He said, Ben. I want you to be in charge of my health and fitness. Here's all of the experts that are already in my ecosystem. He's like, nobody can give me a definitive answer on what I should do. He said, should I, should I do vegan? He's like, I'll do whatever you tell me. Should I do vegan? Should I do carnivore? Should I do paleo? I said, I'm not sure. So with this guy, his health is, is um, compromised. We'll say he's got some significant health challenges, whereas if we make the wrong decision, it's got huge potential consequences. Could We could lose him, right? So I was like, okay. So from, and he also said, I really love the carnivore diet. I feel great on the carnivore diet. My energy is great. My body, my, my muscle feels great. I feel like I'm, I'm growing. I'm like, perfect. Typical response to it, to an average healthy guy. I said, man, if you love carnivore, you feel great, eat it. But this guy, I can't say that because any small decision 
could have vast you know, repercussions. So instead of saying that, we'll say, hey, let, let's, let's do a full panel. Let's look at your DNA because I need to see how your body tolerates saturated fat. Like, let's look at your microbiome to see what your body can tolerate as far as nutrients or as far as foods. So we have to get super specific when the consequences are bigger. When the consequences are small, you think you're in relatively good health, then I think you have a larger margin for error, right? So, you know, the highest quality food you can find, obviously wild meats or grass-fed meats, things like this, Lots of uh, high quality vegetables, high quality fats, and then just enough carbohydrate to fuel performance. Uh, let's talk about peptides because I know that you've been in the peptide space for a very, very long time, and I'm sure that you <clears throat> realize the real value. And I want to say something before we talk about peptides. Ninety uh, percent of people who self-treat themselves with peptides are very disappointed because they don't do what they were hoping to do. A lot of people think taking a peptide will. Will, will mask years and years of horrible decisions and, and progressive uh, issues. Like you're not just getting them. They've been around for 10 years. You must first discover the insult and remove it before peptides can work. Buying peptides without doing getting rid of the stupid shit you do to your body is like trying to pick out a color for the house while it's on fire. It's inappropriate. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't paint the walls right now. They're burning down. But let's talk about some of your favorites. What are some of your favorite peptides? Yeah, it's a great, great um, metaphor you had there, Carl. So like anyone who starts in my programs, like the first month, the first one to three months is like teaching them how to remove the crap. And, and listen, not putting them under starvation diets. I think that's a big mistake. Everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, you got you to gotta fast. You got to eat less. I'm like, hold on a minute. Why don't, we just, why don't we just substitute? Instead of eating a pizza, let's eat something that's healthy. Like I want to give you enough nutrients so you don't kind of lose your, your mind. I want right. you to be healthy and be able to recover. Anyways, to answer your question specifically. Um, I, I like, I like peptides. I love peptides. So, um, what am I a big fan of? Um, so, I mean, I, I put my, I use, uh, a pitalon pretty often. I use, uh, Mott C. I've been, um, actually experimenting with some glutide a little bit. Um, I've obviously used BPC and, and TB 500, uh, thymus and uh, alpha. Uh, what else? Um, LL37. So, uh, what is, which one? LL37. The antimicrobial, no, yeah, it's, 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 especially if you have people with gut issues, but you got to go slow with it and you got to be careful with it. But 125 micrograms a day for about a month and like their intolerance to eat certain foods just goes away. So you got, but you got to be careful because it's very powerful. It's a downstream metabolite of vitamin D. And I actually believe that if you're going to take LL37, you should backload with vitamin D or get in the sun more often. But it works. It works. Interesting. Oh, yeah, I'll check it out. No, so I haven't experimented with that. Um, that's primarily it, man. I, I keep my stuff pretty simple. Okay. So usually about once a month, I'll throw in a new peptide and just play with it, see what it does. Like I, before I ever, ever suggest anything to anyone, I'll usually jump on it myself. So I've seen tremendous benefits with MOTC. Personally, I've seen tremendous benefits with the five amino M1Q. Uh, have you tried that one? Yes, I have. I, I when it first came out and, t and I was working with Taylor made pharmacy, I, I got a bunch of it. Mm -hmm. So, if you're not metabolically broke, so let me back up. For years, I said I didn't like metformin. For years, and everybody jumped mm -hmm. on it, and everybody, literally, I had a guy, uh, Jay Campbell, tell me I was wrong, and you, you, it's the greatest thing in the world. And of course, Dr. Peter Atia talked about it years and years ago, too. I didn't like it because, mm -hmm. first of all, I didn't believe it was going to help anybody who wasn't already metabolically broken. Fast forward about six years, Peter Atia came out uh, probably the uh, end of last year and says, you know, I, I've changed my mind about uh, 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 metformin. And he says, I don't think it helps anybody who's not already metabolically broken. I'm saying, mm -hmm. see, I, I, I just apply, I apply 
critical thinking. That's all I do. I don't have any degrees and anything. You know, I just look at stuff and go, does that make sense? And if it doesn't, then I say no. Um, but with that being said, uh, I think that these drugs like semaglutide, um, uh, and, uh, as well as, uh, uh, 1MQ and, uh, what was the other one you said? I'm trying to think the, the but the, 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 a lot of these Mat-C. are Matsi. Like if you're metabolically broken, which means mitochondria aren't functioning right, those drugs can literally take you from the precipices of becoming full-blown diabetic. But if you have, mm-hmm. if you wake up in the morning and you train fasted, and I normally have a blood sugar level of between 67 and 72 and go to the gym and train, I'm metabolically flexible. It's not going to do anything more for me than I've already done for myself. But I do like them. I do like yep. them for some people, absolutely. I agree with you. And so I agree with you on metformin too. It's funny. Like I, as a bodybuilder, you can imagine I was incredibly in tune with my body. If I take anything, I can feel it. And metformin always made me feel sluggish. It always made me feel like something was, something was, it was like not making me better. That's for sure. So, you know, I've tried it many, many times, tried morning, tried night, tried low dose, tried high dose, and I could just never receive a positive benefit from it. And, and then, so obviously there's, there's some genetic predisposition there as well. There's, you know, high responders, low responders to metformin, which is a consideration, but uh, I, you know, I don't advocate it for anyone. I'm, so I'm glad to hear that Peter Tierra came out and said he's not a big fan because I have never been. Well, and, and you know, it, it's funny that you say this because there's a lot of people that take a drug or take a peptide or take a supplement because other people take it and they believe, and they don't even, they can't even tell if it's working or not, but they take it anyway and they're not in tune with their body. Like, like one of the first signs that you should be aware of metformin and its possible problem uh, that it could cause is while it increases acomancia as a microbe, uh, which everybody's like, oh, acomancia is the greatest thing in the world. Well, guess what? You develop ultra low levels of acomancia on a full blown um, um, carnivore diet, and it's probably because when the food you're eating don't require it to assist. People think that oh, hmm. the, the microbiome is a remnant of your diet. It can change in one day. If you just cut all carbs out for one day, your microbiome flips and it's completely different the next day. So the microbiome isn't necessarily driving health. It, it, it can, but it's it's representative of the diet you're, you're keeping. The way it can help is, and I, I've always used this stupid analogy, but the microbes in your gut eat the food you eat and they poop. And either the poop is good for you or it's not good for you. And that's where mm-hmm. they, they can help. But with that being said, people who take metformin, like literally they almost have messy pants the first few days. It's like I look in the toilet every time I go to the bathroom because I can look and tell the food I ate yesterday because I'm a 24-hour uh, 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 digester. I learned that because I ate charcoal one day to see how long it took to come out of me. And so like, like it, it totally disrupts my gut and gives me loose stool and – Everybody should have a firm stool. Nobody should be pooping Car- Carvel ice cream. You know, it should be firm. It, sh- it could be balls pressed together in a torpedo shape, uh, whatever, but it should be firm. You know, when you think about us as hunter-gatherers, if it took us an hour to poop because we had to get leaves and wipe constantly, we're dead. When we had the pandemic, I was astonished by the number of people who were running out and buying kilo boxes of – I thought – Excuse my French. I thought, God, these people must shit like, like pudding, like all day long. They got to wipe their asses for hours afterwards. That's the first sign that your diet's not working for you, in my, my, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, okay. yeah, it, there's there's a debate there around like the requirement and necessity of fiber. 
you know, how much of a role does that play? And a lot of carnivores say there's no necessary, no necessity for fiber. Whereas there's other researchers, um, I believe his first name is Justin Sonnenberg out of, um, Stanford, phenomenal researcher when it comes to the gut. Uh, he actually says, you know, gut fiber doesn't play a huge uh, role in gut health. And whereas pre- prebiotics do eating things like sauerkraut, probiotic, uh, probiotic, like, uh, or prebiotics like kefir, um, kimchi, things like that are great. Whereas fiber is not a factor. There's a lot of different schools, whereas personally, I think fibers, I mean, for me personally, I feel great and I don't supplement with fiber, but you know, I take in a lot of vegetables and it makes me feel great. And my stools are consistently solid. Um, you know, yeah, I've, I've never had an issue with that at all. I think again, an individual, um, approach for sure. Well, uh, people who have gastric bypass on the, they, they have to eat what's known as a low residue diet, which has virtually no mm-hmm. fiber in it. And they don't develop any type of mm-hmm. issues related to no fiber. But the other thing I'd say is Dr. Leslie Aiello, who used to run the Wenner-Gren Foundation, which is an anthropological organization in New York. I had a conversation with her. She wrote, um, in about 2008, 2007, she wrote an article that went around the internet 10,000 times about our brains got bigger when we started eating meat. And she, she traced Australopithecus gracile, Australopithecus robustus. That was our last distant relative that was strictly vegan. They had short lifespans. Gracile africanus is the one that started eating meat. Their jaws got narrow. Their, their brains got bigger. Their guts got smaller. And she said, uh, it's inappropriate for uh, us to meet these uh, dietary recommendations by the FDA, by, by the, uh, the RDA, because we went through um, a passage for thousands of years where we, we, we don't need the fiber anymore. But I'll tell you why we have fiber in our diet. It's because most people are sick. Most people are metabolically broken and they need something to slow down digestion so the sugar doesn't hit the bloodstream. Because think about this. If you're a hunter-gatherer and you eat one meal and you can't eat again for seven or eight hours, you're not going to live very long. You've got to be able to keep eating. That food's got to move through you. And fiber just slows it down. So the high-fiber diet, in my humble opinion, is really a solution for metabolically broken people in America. So that's it. That makes sense. Yeah, it helps to manage blood glucose for sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a uh, last yeah, commercial break. Got, are, I'm sorry. No, go, go, go. Uh, so some people are constipated, right? So, you know, fiber may or may not be a good solution. Well, and the other thing is constipation and low residue are two different things. When I started to do the, the strict carnivore diet, I didn't poop for the first day, but then I started pooping. And, and Porter Cottrell used to tell me this. He used to say, you can know if your diet is on as far as the amount of food you're eating. If at the, if you end up with just a small little poop, he said, because you don't have all that roughage and you, you, the protein and everything is being utilized. It's like when we eat, we take things out of packages. We have a lot of packages to throw away. That's the equivalent of the roughage and stuff like that. And he used to say he always ate a very, very large diet, but he monitored what foods made more poop. And that's always going to be fibrous foods. So that, and that was, you know, that was his, uh, his logic behind it. So. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll pick it up on the other side. Please post your questions. Those of you who are watching live, uh, we'll get them answered. Stay tuned. (music) 
Hey, this is Carl Lenore. I am the inventor of Gunleash. Over half a million handguns are lost in the United States every year. If you carry a gun like I do, you are 300 times more likely to lose your gun. And 15% of those guns will end up in criminals' hands and used in the commission of a crime. Gunleash solves that problem. Gunleash is a patented, no-tracking proximity device the size of a postage stamp. It will alert you as soon as your gun is outside of your range, so you can never leave your gun behind. To learn more and to be notified when Gunleash is available at the end of January, go to Gunleash.com and get on our mailing list. Gunleash. Never lose your gun, never leave your gun. Millions of people know that shrewd food is the smartest way to snack. Ever get that craving for crunchy snacks but don't want to eat all those empty carbs? Well, instead of puffed corn or wheat like most snacks shrewd food puffs protein powder this gives these crazy efficient macros two grams of carbs 14 grams of protein that's as high as 67 percent protein and with only 90 calories so knock out the carbs but keep the amazing flavor and crunch you're looking for shrewd food is now available at walmart and sprouts or go to shrnetwork.biz slash shrewd food and use the code shr25 for 25 percent off your order hey guys it's time to change your f***ing underwear. And it's time to change to Sheath. Sheath's underwear's revolutionary designs allows your man parts to hang the way they would naturally hang if you were not wearing underwear. And this improves the blood flow throughout the day to the twigs and berries. If you've never experienced wearing a pair of sheath underwear, boy, is there an exciting experience waiting for you. Grab a pen and write this down. Go to shrnetwork.biz slash sheath. That's S-H-E-A-T-H. And use the code superhuman to save 20% off your first pair. And get this, if you're not completely satisfied... Send them back for a full refund. That's shrnetwork.biz slash sheath. Dogs should be powered by fat and protein, not carbs. That's why Visionary Pet makes low-carb, ketogenic dog food for dogs of all breeds and life stages. From kibble to freeze-dried and even low-carb treats, all Visionary Pet recipes are very low-carb, ketogenic, and made with 100% real meat protein. Shop now and use code SHR for 20% off your first order today. Your dog deserves the lifelong benefits of optimal nutrition. Make the switch to Visionary and see why smart dogs eat low-carb. Great sleep upgrades you on virtually every level. Body fat, muscle mass, mood, brain function, and countless other ways. But taking melatonin alone isn't the answer. Thanks to a brand new sleep formula developed by my friends at Bioptimizers, you can experience the best night's sleep ever. Sleep Breakthrough is a delicious sleep drink that supports your natural melatonin production and relaxation without creating a dependency so you can have the best night's sleep on demand. It targets five different sleep pathways to give you the best sleep ever. And best of all, you'll wake up feeling rested and rejuvenated so that you can have the best day possible. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to sleepbreakthrough.com slash SHR and use the code SHR10 for 10% off. Plus, you can unlock special gifts with the value of at least $20. This is a limited time offer, so go to sleepbreakthrough.com forward slash SHR right now. This is the superhuman Human Channel. Evolution just got kicked up a notch. Welcome back. We're talking with Ben Pakulski. We're talking about everything. We're covering a lot of bases here. So we have a question I want to pop up here real quick. Uh, someone asked earlier. Uh, I don't see a name. What the dynamic between dopamine and testosterone? You know, Dr. Um, 
Andrew Huberman did a complete podcast on this where it's brilliant. And I'm certainly not an expert on um, dopamine, but there's definitely a correlation between increased. And I don't know if, if it's a, if it's a dopamine first, testosterone second or testosterone first, dopamine second. It may be a two way street, but there's definitely a correlation between elevated levels of testosterone and elevated levels of dopamine. So for the listener listening, not understanding dopamine, dopamine is the neurotransmitter of pursuit. So when I'm pursuing something and I'm moving towards something, my brain gets this reward chemical. And once I get the thing, the dopamine typically goes away and it bottoms out. So as people who want to be motivated, who want to be driving toward anything in life, dopamine is incredibly important to that process. And so there's definitely a correlation there between elevated levels of testosterone and elevated levels of dopamine. But to be honest, I couldn't tell you the mechanism. A lot of times hormones... um not only correlate with certain microbes. For instance, um, we did a show, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago about the role of oxytocin in renewing muscle. Uh, mm-hmm. Oxytocin makes old muscle recover like young muscle. And there was also a correlation between a, a, a L. rotary, which is a microbe, excuse me. Yep. And when L. Ruteri, oh, sorry, sorry. When L. Ruteri is high, oxytocin is high. So the debate started, does the oxytocin raise L. Ruteri in the stomach? And it does. If you, if you, take, if you take the L. Ruteri microbe, because micro, they sell it now as a, as a probiotic, it won't last mm-hmm. in your gut unless oxytocin levels are high. And it's easy to raise oxytocin, have plenty of sex, hug people you love very often. You can I inject oxytocin post workout. Um, so the, 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 this how much, Carl? A hundred units. It's very high, and most people get like blown out. They get the the so if you take GHRP six or CJC plus GHRP six, uh, if you take one hundred twenty five micrograms of GHRP six along with a hundred units of oxytocin, you will get no head rush because the head rush is from vasopressin. Vasopressin constricts all the small blood vessels and raises blood pressure and you get the head rush and you feel sick. I had a guy email me. He was at the hospital. He accidentally took like 500 units of of oxytocin and his wife drove him to the hospital because he was laying on the floor. He didn't die, but he was freaked out. But the point is uh, growth hormone releasing peptide 6, not 2, because six also raises um, uh, cortisol, and they they play nice together. You can take a comparable dose of GHRP six with a comparable dose of like seventy five hundred units of oxytocin. You won't get the head rush. You'll feel a little. You'll feel a little bit. You know. You'll feel like your heart will speed up for a second and slow down, but it won't be that crushing one. And then you can use a, a fairly high dose post workout. Um, but with that so being two questions on that for yeah, you, man. Yeah. So GHRP six is that not increasing your appetite massively? And, yes. And what is what benefit are you seeing personally from? So now oxytocin? I'm going to I'm going to answer that question because Peter Rouse put uh, something yeah. up here saying that hydrochloric uh, acid helps as you get older for digestion. Yeah, for sure. So acid. here's what I found yep. works better. In fact, there's a guy named Joe. I'm not going to say his last name. He contacted me a couple years ago and he couldn't hold down food. He kept throwing up. He went to the doctor. They said he had. Um, I'm trying to think of what they call that when he has erosion in the, in the, in the, he had evidence of, of a pretty bad case of GERD and they wouldn't give him the surgery. So I told Joe, 
Take 125 micrograms of GHRP6 20, 30 minutes before a meal, and he he and his his wife emailed me back and said, I can't believe it, he's able able to hold down food. GHRP6 will also improve digestion for older people because it's known as a a gastric prokinetic. Uh, GHRP6 triggers uh, peristalsis. The, the, gut, the gut goes, oh, we have food coming. Let's make room for it. So if you want food to move through you faster and also spike naturally produced uh, hydrochloric acid, you take a, a 125 microgram shot of GHRP6 20 minutes before a meal, eat. And this is especially good for older people who don't want to eat anymore. It's harmless. In fact, GHRP6 was administered post-work, uh, post-heart attack. And it, it actually pro- pro- had a profound effect on the development of ischemia as a, as a result of the, the, uh, reperfusion. But, but GHRP6 is, is, is a, they, they actually started giving it to cancer patients, believe it or not. Because it's harmless. It's really very harmless. But it will actually make your food digest faster. It'll make you digest, uh, uh, you you can eat more, and your bowel movements become much more regular. So I, I think it's magic. I really do, and I think it's, it's so innocuous. You really can't hurt anybody with it. But yeah, it does. It does increase. And how about the, the oxytocin? What you, what benefit are you seeing from the oxytocin, Carl? Oh, I I can't tell you, Ben. I can't say. You know, I I actually contacted my doctor, Matt Andre, about six months ago and says, can you do a punch biopsy on me? I'd like to see some changes that are going on in my muscles because I'm using a lot of stuff that should improve uh, the quality of my muscle. I know I move better. I know I'm as strong as I've always been. Um, and, and, and I did have a touch of neuropathy, but it's going away because I'm doing a, once a week I'm doing a, a five milligram thymosin beta-4 injection, which could, if you look at the rodent studies, uh, it re- reversed. Oh, and so I started to get a little distended stomach up here, and I determined that it was my liver. And I think it's re- reversing my liver fibrosis because my my gut's flattening out up here. You know, that's not my gut. That's mm. not my stomach. That's my liver. So um, right. I think everybody should take thymosin beta four, uh, one five milligram shot, depending on your weight. If you're like 135 pounds, you can get get away with about 3.8 milligrams uh, once a week for about five or six weeks in a row. Then take off for five or six weeks, and then come back and do it. it it's it, it causes remyelination of nerves. It reduces uh, chronic inflammation dramatically. It obviously causes new blood vessels to grow. It re, it sequesters, so there's no new uh, fibro, fibrotic tissue, and it removes the fi- old fibrotic tissue. It literally can make you young. When you look at these studies on what thymosin beta four does. But the most people don't take enough. They half a milligram, one milligram. No, you got to do a bolus dose once a week. Then you see the magic. Oh, if you have if you have kidney problem, it'll make the glomular filtration rate go up like in a, in a month or two. I mean, it's it's amazing, mm. and and it does it does uh, protect against stroke, uh, collateral damage from stroke and and heart attack. So it's it's I I think it's one of the most undervalued uh, peptides out there today for general health. Of the average human being, I love that you're going after tissue quality because that's been a big area of, of interest for me. Like, what is there any experts you suggest, or is there any other protocols you're using to optimize for tissue quality? Uh, if you, if you, I'll, if, I'll get your cell phone number and I'll text you a schwack of studies, and then you can just save them on your computer. Sure. But yeah, the other, so uh, obviously growth hormone secretagogues, uh, they play a big role, especially with BPC and thymosin beta four. Um, you know, yep. BPC and thymosin beta-4 are like job superintendents 
and growth hormone was like bricks and mortar. They really work, work very, very nice together. And you like the secreted dogs rather than you don't take growth hormone. No, itself, I take I take I take dogs. point I take my post workout stack is point eight seven IU's of growth hormone. I have a prescription, um, and then I add to that. This is the post workout stack: one milligram of thymosin beta four, one milligram of BPC one fifty seven, uh, two hundred fifty micrograms of each CJC. It's not CJC twelve ninety five. It's actually growth hormone releasing hormone or uh, one uh, um, growth factor one through twenty nine because it's just growth hormone releasing hormone. It's not. It doesn't have DAC. It doesn't stay around. But people expect it to be called CJC twelve ninety five. The, the Conjac uh, pharmaceutical company is the one that patented CJC twelve ninety five. If it doesn't have the tag for the albumin attachment, it's just growth hormone releasing hormone. But I take uh, two hundred fifty micrograms of that, two hundred fifty micrograms of GHRP six, a hundred units. Uh, of um, of oxytocin. That's my post workout shot, and it served me well. Every day you're doing the TV. Only when I train. Every day you're doing the TV. No. Okay. Only and that, this is another thing that people need to understand. There is a phenomenon called uh, abundance and scarcity in the body. If you take the same dose of omega threes every single day, the body will use it as 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 a substrate. It'll burn it up. But if you take like Two or three times a week, you take an irregular – one day you take eight grams. The other day you eat a piece of salmon. Then it stores it to tackle inflammation. The same is true of growth hormone. If you look at the studies on uh, children with short stature, you know, they gave they gave these kids uh, – uh, don't interrupt me. They, they, they gave these kids a 35 IU dose a week. One group, they gave them equal amounts every day. And the other group, they gave them random amounts. Maybe one day they got the whole 35. Another day they got, you know, four. Another day six. The kids who got the irregular dose saw a greater trajectory of growth with the same dose. The body doesn't produce the same. Yeah, well, for kids who have short stature, yeah. But the magic is this idea of having the same dose every single day. The body becomes accustomed to it, and it starts doing other things with it than the targeted uh, reason that you're taking it. So, anyway, and last question: We'll cover this one, and we're going to go um, talk about GLP one. What else can you stack with it, and issues it causes with acid reflux? So, I don't know what you call, but the the um, experiments I've done with it personally and with clients, I found that microdosing it works way better. I find people who do too much get really sick. They get the acid reflux. Their, their heart rate goes through the roof. I've seen a 25% increase in heart rate. So what I've typically done is is um, distributed daily over – so you're getting the, the same relative dose, but you're just distributing it daily in a microdose. So I'm usually doing 0.1 milligrams daily, and I find that works. Like And usually like five days a week, that, that tends to mitigate all the negative side effects. Because I was really concerned having people who are obese reporting back to me that their, you know, their heart rate, their resting heart rate went from sixty to eighty-five. Yeah. Like that, that's a big, big difference over over the span of one or two weeks. That's that's a big, you know. Again, whether or not it's it's a bad thing, we don't know. But that was a bit of a concern for me. Their heart rate variability tanked a little bit, and you know, does it work for appetite? Absolutely. Are they going to decrease calories? Absolutely. But I'm very curious about uh, ter- terzepatide. Have you tried terzepatide? Have you heard of it? No. No. I, I don't. So I don't like any GLP of the. I don't like any of the GLPs. I don't like them because I don't want something that makes me nauseous. I can control my appetite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So right. So again, not everyone can. So I, I think it's a really useful thing. And apparently, terzepatide is like seven to eight times more effective than semaglutide. 
and uh, it doesn't have the same negative effects. Apparently, significantly more positive effects. So again, who knows? All, all hearsay and speculative. I've never tried it personally, but as I said, I like to experiment with these things. And I'll tell you, you if you want to fast for five days, a little bit of uh, semaglutide is a very good way to not think about food even once. There is an amazing um, <clears throat> diet drug in, uh, what do they call it? Second clinical trial right now. It's called mm-hmm. Tessofessin. T-E-S-O-F-E-S-I-N. I like it. I think it's the answer for a lot of people. The problem with me is... I'm very sensitive to noradrenaline, and it, it really jacked my sleep up bad. You know, I, I didn't get into any deep mm. sleep when I used it, but there's a lot of people who can tolerate it. And, I mean, you can lose 25 pounds in six weeks without doing anything. Or six months, I'm sorry. Did, did you try microdosing? It's already a half a milligram. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got some. It's already a half a milligram. You, can't, <laughs> you really can't take so it. So I was told to do... A quarter of a milligram, again, I've never tried, but um, a quarter of a milligram apparently, and I, again, I don't even know what to expect with it, but I was told like a half milligram will get you the, you know, the noradrenaline excess, whereas a quarter milligram may not. That makes sense because speculatively, the study did have success with a quarter milligram, hmm. but they had the most so, yeah, we'll weight see. loss with a half and no better ha- with, a, with one. Yeah. I, yeah I, isn't I, it I, interesting I, that? Isn't it interesting, Carl, that, um, you know, rather than putting like regulations on what we can sell in the store or, I don't know, man, I think there's so many better or educating the public on, on nutrition or like so many better approaches we could take that the solution to everything is like the pharmaceutical companies are going to make trillions of dollars off things right. that are going to suppress people's appetite. It's, it's very interesting, man. It's very, very interesting. Well, and, again, the, and the funny thing is now the um, new message out of the government is, you know, it's not your fault, it's your genetics. And that's complete bullshit. <clears throat> I mean, some bullshit, people. Yeah may gain a little more weight than another person because of their metabolic rate and other things. But I always use this very crude example when people tell me it's genetic. I say, you know, I never saw a fat person in a prisoner of war camp. It wasn't like, you know, everybody's starving, but Joe, he's still 300 pounds. How the hell did he do that? Oh, he's, he's his genetics. When you don't eat, you starve. When you eat less, you lose weight. That's everybody across the board. <clears throat> that's it right but there, but we're talking hunger signals right like right. so when looking deeper at genetics there's definitively people who have different hunger signals as an example someone could put a piece of chocolate cake in front of them eat one bite and be like ah, i don't want it whereas the other person has one bite and not only do they eat the whole piece but they're going to go have five more pieces and so i i do empathize with those people because that that is real and some people just don't have the ability to turn off the switch right uh, again, I don't know how excessive it is and how much variability there is, but you know, there's definitely a gene that determines you know people's predisposition to kind of overeat, and then there's people's predisposition to you know oxidize carbohydrates at a higher level, and then oxidize fat at a higher level, and there's a lot of variability within it. So I think you know we're still learning about it. I was like you; I was 330 pounds. I, first of all, I was a really fat kid. Like at 12 years old, I was probably about 160 pounds, but I was tall, so it didn't look as bad. Then when I had children, I didn't have them. My ex-wife did. Um, I I just became the average American schlub. I was running a business I hated. I ate and ate. I used to go to – my audience knows this story. <clears throat> I used to go to Wendy's when they came out with the double stack. They were 99 cents each. And I would tell the girl, give me six double stacks on one bun. 
And then I'd get a Dr. Pepper, you know, maybe diet and a Biggie Fries. And I'd do that twice a day. I left the house and I had breakfast. I did that twice. And then I went home and I had a big meal. And it's no wonder that I was 330 pounds. It wasn't like a mystery, like, oh, man, I don't know how this happened. I know how it happened. I ate every day. And, you know, the funny thing is people forget that I did that for a decade to get 330 pounds. And then you expect to take a pill and lose it all in, in a couple months. You know, it's like it's, it's it, the, the, the whole thing is so unrealistic. It really is very sad. Very, very sad. I think that's yeah. Uh, I think for the audience, I mean, you you know, Carl, you're talking about it. it's like build small habits, man. Like the little things go a long way, right? If you can't do the little things well, you're never going to do the big things well. So I call them high impact habits. Look around at the people who are successful in health and fitness. Borrow their habits. We we know how to do it. We're not reinventing the wheel. It's not complex. It's like do the do the simple shit really really well and really really consistently, and everything else falls into place. MuscleIntelligence.com is the website to go to to follow Ben and learn from him. He's a wealth of knowledge. As you can see, he's really sensible. One of the reasons I'm getting off the air is because this space, the health, fitness, and longevity space, has become occupied by people who say the most absurd things and they get the most followers. The more absurd thing you say, the more followers you will have. And I just can't be part of it anymore. But Ben is one of us. He's sensible. He's He's been very successful his whole life with changing his body. Now he's changing his health and he's helping other people. If you feel like you need help, go to muscleintelligent.com and reach out to him and uh, give yourself the best opportunity to change your life, really. It takes people like him to give you the right things to do where you start to see success because success is habit forming. Once you go, oh, my God, I, I my muscles are bigger, my shoulders look broader, uh, I feel better. I'm sleeping better. It, then, then, then you're you're hooked. That's what happens to all of us. We get hooked, and and you can't turn back. Mm-hmm. Then, Ben, thanks for being. And you here, stop brother. looking for reasons. Thanks, Carl. Stop looking for reasons to to change your state. Right? People are eating food because they feel like shit all the time, and they don't know why. When you when you, when you feel great, there's no reason to reach for for junk. That's Carl. Cool. You're doing an amazing job, man. It's sad to hear you're getting off the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, your audience is going to miss you. We're going to miss you. And, and speaking quickly to what you just said about these people who are just screaming louder than everybody else, you got to know that the cream is going to rise to the top like it always does. Unfortunately, it's just taking longer than than normal this time because of social media. But people who are saying the right things are always going to shine. Well, I'm rooting for you. I really am. And thanks for taking time to be on the show today. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. Take care. All right. We'll see you tomorrow with more Superium Radio. Don't forget to share the show. You never know whose life you're going to save or change. We'll see you tomorrow.